That's my son, Xander. He's supposed to come out and do that. Can you wave and say hi to everybody? He's probably going to be a little bit shy. <laughs> so one of the most important things you can do that you can practice while riding a bike is to look where you want to go. It's a very simple, basic principle of mountain biking. And it's something I've been trying to teach Xander ever since uh, he started riding his bike. <clears throat> his bike. It's simply, hey, look where you want to go, bud. <laughs> See? <laughs> look where you want to go. Because when he first got on, his problem was, and, and this is the case for most new riders, is that they get on the bike and then they, they look down at their front wheel. And they tend to only look maybe three or four feet in front of them. And they tend to fixate and, and focus in on the objects that are right there in front of them, the rocks and the roots and the cracks in the ground, the things that they want to avoid, but they tend to just fixate on instead of looking past. So I've been trying to teach Xander, look up, bud. You don't want to go off the side of the cliff, so don't look off the side of the cliff. Look up. Very basic principle of mountain biking. Isn't that right, Xander? Yeah. <laughs> it's also a very basic principle of our faith. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, this idea of looking. So if you guys could give Xander a round of applause. Thanks, Xander, for coming out. You can go back to mommy. She's going to take you into your classroom, okay? You can do one last cool jump or something if you want. <laughs> He's had some wicked crashes on that thing, but he loves it. He keeps going back to it. So my goal this morning is to kind of just stand up here almost as, as a coach in a sense and just point to Jesus and say he is worth looking at. He is worth fixing our eyes on. It's a very basic thing. It's a, it's a fundamental principle of our faith. And I thought about it and it's like, hey, we're getting ready to go into 2018, a new year. Uh, sometimes we don't need something new. We don't need some new revelation. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of those simple things, of those fundamentals to keep us on track. So that's what today kind of serves as, is just a time for us to go back to the basics, say, man, what is it that I'm looking at? Is it Jesus or has something else come in the way of my vision of who God is? And some of the inspiration from this message actually came from this book called Look and Live by Matt Papa. This is my all-time, next to Scripture, this is my all-time favorite book. God has used this book uh, these past two years in awesome ways, and I would highly recommend it. I think it's only like $8, maybe $10 on Amazon. It is well worth the read. If you're looking for a new book to read this year, this would be number one on my list uh, to recommend to anybody because it really does just take your focus off of your sin issues, off of your circumstances, and it helps you place your focus on Jesus to see and to behold Him and His glory and realize nothing else compares to that. So we're going to draw from this book a little bit, but mainly we're going to draw from this crazy, ridiculous story that happens in Numbers chapter 21 um, it's just one of those things that you read and you're like, did that seriously just happen? Like, this is stuff that we can't really make up. This, this has to be of God. So if you have a copy of God's Word, flip open to Numbers chapter 21. We're going to be in verses 4 through 9 this morning. And 
as we talk about this, we're going to discover this big idea today. Again, we're talking simple. We're talking basic. We're talking fundamentals. I know a lot of you guys know this, but this is our big idea. Look to Jesus and live. Most of us would agree, yeah, okay, I I know that, I get that, but I hope that, that we would actually be looking to him and understanding the life that he gives us, eternal life and the abundant life here and now. So that's our big idea. Numbers chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 21, starting in verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Maybe. There we go. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They've said this a couple times in the book of Numbers, and they're at it again. For there is no food and no water, and we loathe or we hate, we despise this worthless food. So to bring us up to speed about what's going on in these verses, here's an image that will kind of help us. The Israelites are at the tail end of their 40 years of wandering. They're almost there, but they're not quite. They've been walking for a long time. They, they haven't had a place to call home. And they're up here on Mount Hor. And Aaron, Moses' brother, just died. And they just got done grieving and mourning, and they're getting ready to go on the move again. And they want to cut through this land right here, the land of Edom. But in Numbers chapter 20, we read that the king of Edom doesn't allow the Israelites to pass through his land. So they have to go down and around and back up, and it adds a lot of miles to their journey. And along the way, they do what we do when we have to take a a detour that we didn't want to. They become impatient. They're they're just tired of walking. They're tired of not having a place to call home. They're tired of eating the same thing day in and day out. So they start to complain and they lash out against God. You know what their problem was? They were looking at their circumstance. They were looking at their situation instead of looking at God. This is one thing that we can look at in life, one thing that can distract us from our vision of God. And so we can say that looking at circumstances eclipses our vision of Jesus. That's really what's going on in this this situation. I mean, the people have seen God show up in miraculous ways, right? He brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, He split the Red Sea for them. He guided them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He stopped the Jordan River. Water came rushing out of rocks for them. And despite seeing all of that, these circumstances got in the way and it eclipsed their vision of God and what He was capable of and His power. They were looking at the things that they shouldn't have been looking at. They should have been looking up, looking to Him, realizing, hey, God's got us this far. He can can get us through this little detour. But their circumstances came in front of 
their vision of God. And so they started to complain. And as I read that, it's like, man, it's easy for me to stand up here and to point the finger at them and say, how could you guys do that? But the more I meditated on this, the more I read it, the more I realized I am like these Israelites. Just a little bit different. Here's an example in my life. God has graciously provided a home for my wife and I. I mean, the way that it all worked out, how we were able to buy it, when we were able to buy it, it, it's a huge blessing. I love my house. It's an older house, but, but I love it. Then I'll watch one of those shows on like HGTV or Fixer Upper, <laughs> Chip and Joanne Gaines. Love them, but hate them, right? They go in, they make this ugly house look nice again, and all of a sudden I start looking at my house, and I'm like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I need to do this. I don't like that. Look at this crack in the wall. And I start complaining, and then I start to hate or loathe the house that God has given me. Are we on? Test, test. Okay. And, 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 and I'm like, I'm like those Israelites. I do the same exact thing. My circumstance is a little bit different, but man, I could start to loathe the blessings that he has given me. Anton, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get hungry, I'll go to my refrigerator or to my pantry. There's food in there, right? I'll open it up and I'll say, there's no food in this house. Katie, we need to go to the store. Right? It's because what I want isn't right there. And so I start to complain. I mean, there are literally kids dying of starvation. And here I am saying there's no food in the house because I don't want to put a peanut butter and jelly sandwich together or whatever. I'm just like those Israelites. I allow circumstances to eclipse my vision of God. God has shown up in my life in powerful ways, and sometimes I forget that. I'm not looking at Him. I'm looking at circumstances, and so I loathe the blessings that He has given us, me and my family. And that's what these Israelites were doing. So God shows up, and this is what happens. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So God steps in and sends some fiery serpents. Is there anybody here who likes snakes, especially poisonous snakes? You guys are all crazy. We'll pray for you. Okay? Sends these, sends these snakes to, to, as a form of discipline to the people. And, and when I read this, at surface level, this seems extremely cruel and harsh. I mean... This is what makes this story so crazy because, I mean, isn't God the God of love? Like, doesn't he love people? Doesn't he forgive people? They were just complaining. It was just a little sin. Why on earth would he allow these serpents to come and to bite these people and for them to die? You know, at surface level, this seems harsh. But it's important for us as followers of Jesus to have a basic understanding of what his word is teaches us. We don't have to know everything, but it's good for us to have at least a basic understanding so that when people come to us and say, why would you follow a God who sent snakes to kill people? 
you can come back with an answer. You can say, well, I, I know that seems harsh on the surface, but you have to understand that from Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 in the garden, all the way to the end of this book, God makes it perfectly clear, abundantly clear, that what we deserve for our sin, for our direct disobedience to God, for us missing the mark of perfection, what we deserve is death. Romans 6.23 sums this up well for us. For the wages of sin is what? Death. God actually wasn't being harsh in this situation. He was being fair. It's what we deserve. We deserve death. As hard as that is for us to hear, that's the reality that this book teaches us. Yet we know in the midst of this discipline, God had a deep love for the Israelites. And in the midst of the discipline that he allows us to go through and he brings into our life, we know that he loves us. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, teaches us that God disciplines those that he loves. Same way we have parents in our lives who love us and discipline us. In that very same way, God loves us enough to discipline us, and that discipline is actually meant for our good. And the discipline in this situation was for the good of the Israelites because it led them to repentance. It led them to realize, wow, we're in this situation that we can't take care of ourselves, so God, we realize we sinned, we messed up, we need you to show up in our lives. This discipline was actually for their good. The people became desperate. Desperation is good when the one that you are desperate for is God. And sometimes God allows fiery circumstances in our lives to bring us to that point of desperation where we have nowhere else to go except Him. And we realize, God, if you don't show up, man, I, I, am, I am done for point of desperation for me in my life was November 2005. I was sitting in a church service over at the Rosser campus, if you know where that is. First time I had been in church. Middle of the service, I get a phone call. I didn't answer it. I, I called my brother back afterwards, but he called me and he said, you need to come home because dad just died. I mean, in, in the midst of this church service, my dad died. At 18 years old, I was not ready for that circumstance, that situation. That was a fiery circumstance for me. But God used that in a powerful way because all of a sudden I became desperate. It took the passing of my earthly father for me to realize that there is a heavenly father willing, ready, and able to adopt me if I would just cry out to him and turn from my ways and seek him and be desperate for him. God used that situation in a powerful way to make me realize I'm really desperate for Jesus because nothing else is satisfying me. I need him and him alone. That's where these Israelites were. They, they, they were desperate. So they cry out, God, we've sinned against you. We've realized we've messed up. Show up. Take these snakes away from us. So God shows up. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, supposed to be when, he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, 
And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is crazy. Caleb, I need your help. Can you come up here? This is absolutely crazy. Remember, there are moms and dads and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts dying. And they're saying, God, will you take this, these serpents away from us? Can you grab that and pull it off? And God says, mm, what I want you to do... <laughs> Come here, Caleb. You can hold this. You can feel the power, man. Come on over here because I want you to see this verse. God says, Moses, fashion yourself a bronze serpent. Put it on a pole. Tell the people to look at it. When they do, they'll live. That's crazy, Caleb. That is, that is, I mean, God, what? Why wouldn't you go and get some mud and then some, like, I don't know, herbal, like, medicine and rub it together on the wounds? What do you mean all I have to do is look at this serpent? That, that is crazy. And the more I thought about it, the more I started asking, like, why didn't God just take the serpents away like the people wanted to? And then I was reminded of this verse, Hebrews chapter 11. Caleb, check this out. And without faith... It is impossible to please him, God. For whoever would draw near to him must, keyword, believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the more I thought about this, the more it made me realize, you know, God isn't this cosmic genie that makes our hardship disappear in a flash. He could, but he chooses to work in a very peculiar, unorthodox, and I would say even crazy kind of way. So he says, Moses, put a snake on a pole and tell the people to look at it. Don't work harder. Don't try to be good enough. Don't stop doing bad. Just have the faith to take me at my word and believe that all you have to do is look at that thing. He, he was calling the people to trust him. He wanted them to express their faith in him. So he says, Moses, put a snake on a pole and look at it. How ridiculous is that? Thank you, Caleb. Appreciate it, man. I'm going to leave this right here. Could you imagine the intensity that those people would have stared at that snake with? I mean, it wouldn't have just been this kind of quick glance or this, this drive-by kind of look. Man, those people would have burned a hole in that snake. And if we were in that situation, there would not be a person in this room who would look away from that snake until we were certain that the venom had left and that life had returned. absolutely crazy what happened. Put a snake on a pole 
And then it gets even stranger because Jesus shows up on the scene and he adds another layer to this. Jesus in John chapter 3 is talking with this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus has all these questions about eternal life. He's not quite understanding it. Jesus is like, oh, you just got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, I'm an adult. How can I be born again? I can't go back to my mom. Like, how does this work out? And so Jesus draws on this story, a story that Nicodemus would have known well. And Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is crazy again. Because Jesus likens himself to a snake. And there is so much in that passage right there that I wish we had time to get into, right? He who knew no sin became sin for us, became a curse, Galatians chapter 3. So much good stuff. But Jesus likens himself to this snake, and he says, Nicodemus, in the same way that that snake was raised up in the wilderness, I too must be raised up. And then he intentionally inserts these words, believe and eternal. And in doing so, he teaches us that, that our believing, our faith is, is like looking. Nicodemus, the same way that those people in the wilderness just had to look to that snake for life. In that very same way, all you have to do to gain eternal life is believe in me. Look to the one thing that God promised would bring you eternal life. It's not about doing more. It's not about working harder being better, giving more. I'm calling you to have the faith to take me at my word and believe that I'm enough. The very same way that that snake was raised, Jesus was raised. If we want to have life, we need to believe in him. We need to look to him. Here is what looking at Jesus does for us. Looking at Jesus eclipses our vision of all else. You can insert your circumstance, your uh, sin issue, your situation in this else column. Jesus is bigger than that. I have to be careful with this story that I share because I don't have permission. Some of you guys will know who I'm talking about. I don't think he'll mind, but there was a guy on staff a couple of years ago who had to step down because he was diagnosed with cancer. And he has gone through a rough couple of years, he and his family. I mean, just, just battling this thing out. And, and it has not been easy, but I will never forget talking with him. And, and he's looking at me in my eyes and he says, you know what though, it is well with my soul. Because he wasn't looking at the cancer. He wasn't looking at the situation. He had his eyes fixed on Jesus. And for me, hearing that was like, yes. See, Jesus is worth following. He wasn't completely ignoring his situation. He was going to treatment. He was taking care of things. But in the midst of that, he said, it is well with my soul because my eyes are fixed on Jesus because he is bigger than this. I remember him even saying, you know what? I'm either going to wake up next to my wife or I'm going to wake up in the presence of Jesus. It's a win-win situation. 
And it's like, yes, we need that kind of attitude, man, because that demonstrates to the world that Jesus is a God of hope, that he is worth following. Looking to him eclipses our vision of all else. Put whatever situation you're in in that else category. You got an addiction issue? You're looking at something on the screen you're not supposed to? Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus is bigger than that. The reality is looking to Jesus is the most important thing any of us can do because we've all been bitten by sin. As Matt Papa says in his book, we all bear the fanged shape, marks, scars of sin. Spiritually speaking, we all have sin venom pumping through our souls and unless we look to Jesus, unless we, stealing the words of John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Unless we fix our eyes on Him and believe Him, we will die. And I'm not just talking about a physical death. I'm talking about a spiritual death where we will forever be separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. And I know that that is not a popular term nowadays. It's not politically correct unless you're using it in a cuss word or something. But that is the reality that this book teaches us. That our sin separates us. That's what sin does. does. It separates us from God and then it distracts us from Him with all types of lesser things until we eventually waste our lives. And so the call is to look to Him. To believe in Him as crazy as that sounds like a snake on a pole. What do you mean I don't have to be better? What do you mean I don't have to try harder? All I have to do is believe that Jesus really is who He says He is? This book says yes. Look to Jesus. As crazy as that sounds. Now I'm only 30 years old. I have a little bit of life experience, not much. But I do know this, that whatever it is we're looking at, we worship. We can't really move on without talking about this idea of worship because we really do worship whatever it is that we look at. A quick definition of worship. It's simply responding with praise or adoration, affection and attention to something that you consider great or beautiful. And we're always worshiping something. As human beings, we cannot not worship. We just simply choose where we aim our worship. So are we aiming it at Jesus or are we aiming it at something else? Finances, a relationship, a certain situation. What is it that we're looking at because we worship that thing? Deep down inside of us, we all have this restlessness, this hunger to worship. As a quick example from the Bible, do you remember that story in Exodus chapter 32? Moses is up on the mountain. Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. All the people are, are down there waiting. Moses is taking a while, so the people are like, uh, hey Aaron, apparently Moses, this isn't working out. Can, can you make us something? We need something to follow. We need a new God. And so they fashion this, this golden calf. And we often read that and think like, how dumb. Yeah, a golden calf out of all things? What? But the people weren't dumb. They were hungry. Hungry to worship. 
Hungry to look to something, to believe in something, to follow something. So are you, and and so am I. We're, We're hungry. We cannot not worship. The reality is, though, that everything will crumble under the weight of your worship except God. I think most of us in here have lived long enough to have felt the sting of disappointment when that thing that we thought would bring us happiness or fulfillment came crashing out underneath us. And we're like, wow, that didn't give me what I thought it would give me. I thought if I just got that promotion, I would be set. I thought if I just had that amount of money in the bank that that I would be okay. I thought if I just got that person to like me, then things would be better. Things don't get better. All of a sudden we feel that sting of disappointment. It's because those idols will not satisfy us. They will not carry us into eternity the way that Jesus does. So the call is to look to him and to live. Matt Papa said this in his book, Look and Live. He said, we were created by God and for God. And until we understand that, we are restless, broken-hearted glory chasers, always seeking something more. My prayer has been that we would wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is that something more that our souls long for. He alone is worth looking at. Now there might be some people in this room who have yet to place their faith in Jesus, to take him at his word and say, yeah, I I believe, Jesus, that you are the cure to my sin issue, that you are the one that takes away my sin and that brings me back into a right relationship with the Father. I realize that I've been looking at the wrong thing and I need to turn and look to you. You see, I can't see what's going on in each of your hearts. Only, only God knows that. I'm here just to stand and to point and say he's worth looking at. And if you have something going on in your life and you feel God working in your life, I would hate for you to leave here not knowing how to respond to that. So if you're sitting here today and you realize I need D- Jesus, I'm desperate for him, the same way that those Israelites needed him. You realize, I really do need him. Then respond to that. Respond to him in worship. Throw yourself at him. Give him your praise and your affection and your attention. Jesus said that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. It's not about you striving to be better or to work harder. It's asking you, take me at my word. Have the faith to believe that Jesus is the cure to the sin that has been plaguing you. So if you're sitting here today and you realize like, yeah, I I need that. I want to be restored. I want to be in that right relationship. Then cry out to him. Worship him. You can do that in the form of a prayer. I'm not going to have the lights dimmed. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes because no prayer ever saved anybody. It's not wrong to do those things. It's not wrong to close your eyes or dim the lights. But I want you to right now, right where you're sitting, if that's you, just say, you can say it in your, out loud, you can say it to yourself, just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I realize my sin is killing me and that you're the cure, you're the anti-venom to that. So I'm giving you myself, I'm turning from my ways and I'm seeking you. Jesus, I'm following you. Just cry out to him. Your prayer might have been a little bit different. It's not about the words. It's about 
our heart and us realizing I am desperate for him. So if that's you, you can stand right now if you want and we would erupt and cheer and praise. But I realize that most people don't, I mean, we just live in a, a day and age that's like, oh, I'm not doing that. There's too many eyes looking at me. So this is what I'm going to do. This is what I, what I pray would happen. I've been praying all week for this. After the message, Jamie's going to lead us in another song. And then I'm going to be standing right here at the front of the stage. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus for the first time, you realize, man, I need him. Everything else is just crumbling underneath me, and I need him. Then I would love for you to come and just introduce yourself to me. I'm going to give you something, a very practical tool that will help you take those next steps in your journey with Jesus. I'm not going to make it weird or anything like that. I just want to get to know you, shake your hand, pray for you, and give you a tool. So I'm going to be right up here and I would love if, if, if you would come and just say, hey, that was me. I placed my faith in Jesus. I'll celebrate with you. For other people in this room, maybe you've placed your faith in Jesus, but you realize, man, I've been looking to the wrong thing. I need to refocus my vision on him. And so there are going to be other prayer partners up here that would love to pray for you and with you. This isn't a time of judgment Everything's going to remain confidential. You can just say, hey, I, I need some prayer about this situation. I, I need to, I need to re, really refocus my vision on Jesus and look to him. And they'll be up here. They would love to pray for you. And then for all of us, here's some next steps, some things that we can do to apply this very basic, simple, fundamental principle of our faith of looking at Jesus. This is how we look to him, how we cast our eyes on him. So some next steps. First, examine your life for idols. You know, is there anything in your life that is eclipsing your vision of God and who he is? Is there something on your mind? Right when you go to bed, it's, it's the last thing you think of. And then right when you wake up, it's the first thing that you think of. And throughout the day, you think of it. And it's bringing you fear or maybe anxiety, maybe guilt or shame. And you just can't seem to think about anything else other than that. Is there any idol in your life that you know, yeah, that, that's blocking my vision of, of God? If so, write it down. It's good for us to be aware of those things. As much as it might hurt, just write it down. You guys probably know mine because I talk about it every single time I'm up here, mountain biking, right? It's so easy for me to cast my eyes on that and to worship that. What, what is it for you? Write it down. Next step. Worship your way out of the grasp of that idol. It's the only way that you will get out of the grasp of that idol is through worship. Through throwing yourself at Jesus with your praise and your adoration and your affection and looking to him. So do whatever it is that helps you fix your eyes on him. And there's no cookie-cut answer for how to do this because everybody's a little bit different. God has wired us all. He's a creative God. He's not boring. We all don't have to do the same exact thing. For some people, it's going to be going on a hike and praying and confessing, God, I've been looking at this thing for the past year, and I, I want to really refocus my vision on you. For other people, it's going to be drinking some coffee and meditating on a specific passage or verse. For some people, it's going to be listening to worship music. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, I really have no idea like how to fix my eyes on Jesus, I would say start with worship music. Jamie has been kind enough to put together a playlist. It's going to be shared on our Facebook page. 
It's going to have songs that speak directly about the goodness and the greatness and the glory of God that help us take our eyes off of our situation and on to Him. There's a song that's special to me on there called Unstoppable God by Elevation Worship. It was a song that, that I listened to a lot when we were going through the adoption process with Xander, the little guy who rode his bike out here. First year and a half that he was in our home, we had no idea if we'd be able to keep him because his biological father was fighting for him also. Crazy situation. It was a stressful situation. A year and a half of this cloud of uncertainty kind of just lingered around our home. It was easy for us to fix our eyes on that circumstance and to not look to God. And God used that song to make me realize, hey God, you are unstoppable. Your glory will go on and on. So listen to some, some, some worship music this, this next week. And then the last one, linger in his word. I chose that word specifically because this book best reveals who Jesus is to us. And it's good for us to hang out in it, to camp out in it. You know, don't read to finish, read to behold, read to see him, read to change. Pray Psalm 119, God, open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things in your law. I'm going to crack this bad boy open and I want to see you. I want to see your glory. I want to be changed because of it. There's some suggested verses that you can read on there. Read them over and over and over and over and over again. And when you think you've read them enough, read them again and then again. Linger in his word because the reality is we are all desperate for him whether we realize it or not. Our souls long for him and I pray that we would just simply look to him, cast our eyes on him, and worship him. This place would be changed if we do that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for first loving us. And we thank you for these stories in scripture that at surface level just seem absolutely ridiculous and crazy, but when we dive in, we see you in the midst of it all. And so God, as ridiculous as it might sound to some of the people in this room, I pray that you would give us the faith to just simply look to Jesus. That is what will change us, not doing more, not striving harder. We just simply need to have the faith to look. So give us that faith, Spirit, to look to Jesus, the one who died on the cross for our sins and then rose three days later, proving that he really is who he says he is. So God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who has yet to place their faith in you, that you would do the work that only you can do and that you would bring them from death to life. God, it's something we're celebrating. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why we worship you is because you've brought us from a place of death to life and we recognize that. And so we cry out to you. So thank you again, Jesus, for your words. Thank you for meeting us here this morning. God, we love you. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.